Welcome to Born to Lead, the podcast that explores a man's journey to self-actualization. I am your host, LT Born, and on this podcast, me and my guests discuss childhood experiences, failures, relationships, traumas, and all the adversities they encounter while achieving the best versions of themselves. So my name is Gabriel Saunders, 25-year-old social entrepreneur. Um, grew up here my, my entire life. So I was born in Canada to, uh, to a Canadian mother, uh, Jeranny Saunders, who many people here do know as well. Mm-hmm. And um, got pretty interested into the environment around the age of 11. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have to thank Turks and Caicos for then for the opportunities that it's created for me. Mm-hmm. So at the age of 11, there was an environmental conference here. Mm-hmm. And former American Vice President Al Gore was actually there. Who's right. the keynote speaker? And I remember my mom coming up to me, Gabriel, do you want to come to this environmental conference? Now, little 11 year old me, very excited. Of course, I'm going to head to the conference. Mm-hmm. Go to the conference, and I'm the youngest attendee there. And that's by a long shot. I'm 11, and the next youngest attendee there was probably 17, 18, 19. Wow. So I'm there, British West Indies collegiate student, grade six, seeing peers there who are in grades 11, 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And um, there was an opportunity to ask questions. Uh-huh. And my mom's there. Gabriel, you should ask a question. Because I think I was next to her asking her questions. Right. Like, why, why do you ask uh, Al Gore these questions? questions? Yeah. I was like, man, I, I don't want to go. I'm the youngest here. I'm the smallest here, the shortest here. But eventually, I had the courage to go up there. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the back of the line. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the MC goes and says, no more questions. I pretty much had a sigh of, of relief. I don't need to go ask my question. Right. All of us are turning back. And then the MC says, actually, young man, you come back to ask your question. Oh, wow. So yeah. I go back up there. My question was, how can a child like me help the environment of the Turks and Caicos? And he provided his answer and ended it with, I'm counting on you. So for me as an 11-year-old, it had a dramatic impact on me. Wow. It was that Spider-Man moment. It, it was that Spider-Man moment. <laughs> so great power comes, great responsibility. <laughs> Definitely. So that was that. And all of a sudden within my class, they started looking at me as the environmental guy. Uh-huh. This is grade six, of course. Uh-huh. But eventually the DECR reached out. Would you like to star in one of our plastic waste reduction campaigns? Mm. I remember they, I was extremely nervous to do it. I woke up very early. I got the script that morning, probably 15 minutes before we recorded and recorded that right in IGA. And that was playing on uh, WIV4 News for months, actually maybe for a little over a year. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely interesting to see that because I was recently provided a link to that video again and I hadn't seen it in years. Yeah. So it was uh, interesting to see myself at 11 year old. 11 so this, this old. was nurtured almost. It, it was definitely very much uh, nurtured. Uh-huh. It was then an opportunity when I was 12 to meet Dr. David Suzuki, a Canadian environmentalist who's extremely well. So the following year you met, you meet. The following year, I did, I did meet him at another environmental conference. Wow. And all of those instances as a young person, you know, at 11 and 12 years old, really helped shape me to who I am today. You call yourself a social entrepreneur. What exactly is a social entrepreneur? Definitely. So the term social entrepreneur became more familiar to me when I was at the University of Waterloo. Took a class called Bet 420, which is essentially social entrepreneurship. Uh, that was the name of the course. 
-hmm. was taught by one of my favorite professors, Rupert Reddy. Mm -hmm. And it was all about entrepreneurship that has a true impact. So we're looking at right. social enterprise. And what exactly is a social enterprise? And that's where we learned that you could create businesses that actually positively impact the communities around you. And they have a social mission at their core. And that's what a social, a social enterprise is all about. How do you become a social entrepreneur? I think it's the same way that you become the traditional entrepreneur. You look around for opportunities, but for social entrepreneurs, you look specifically for opportunities that you can capitalize on that can benefit communities around you. And this can be in so many different ways. You could look at it and say, okay, as a person of color, we face these specific issues. How am I going to tackle that? It could be something within the environment. How am I going to tackle that? You could be um, a woman, a woman but, entrepreneur. But not only are you tackling it, tackling it, you're figuring out how do you monetize it as well. Definitely. So that is one reason why I love social entrepreneurship, yeah. because it's not just a charity. It's not a charity at all. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what it really separates charities from social enterprises. Wow. The charity relies on donations for the most part. And what mm -hmm. we see is that when we hit a recession, donors pretty much cut their donations mm -hmm. and charities are not able to run as effectively as they previously were. Mm -hmm. But a social enterprise, its business model is meant to be sustainable. It's meant to be able to keep running and running and running. So while running your business, you're actually improving a specific community or specific people. Do you believe that's the way activism should should go moving forward? Most activists should try to go the social entrepreneurial route? I, I would love to see it because uh -huh. I think that with entrepreneurship is an amazing way to really provide value to the world. Mm -hmm. It's one, activism has its place, but in my opinion, there's how long are you going to go around with your, you know, your little billboards or your posters complaining about an issue. Right. Uh huh. Your complaints are going on deaf ears at sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to be that change that you want to see. Yes. And it's not simply just saying, oh, there's a problem here, there's a problem here, there's a problem here. But it's actually using the research that you've done to provide those facts to say that there's an issue and saying, how can I utilize those facts and use my knowledge and the expertise that I have to create a solution to actually tackle that problem. And that sounds like a lot of work. Uh, it definitely is, yeah. but I think that is well worth it, especially mm -hmm. when you can have such a positive impact, impact. on yeah. the world. I love it, I love it. What, what who were some of the social entrepreneurs you're looking at when you learned about social entrepreneurship? The first one who pops up to me is Tristan Walker. Mm -hmm. Now, Tristan Walker is the CEO of Walker & Company. What they are is, they are a a shaving company, actually. But there's it's actually a whole beauty products company. Uh -huh. So Tristan Walker is a black founder who's had a lot of his struggles in his younger days uh, in terms of living in. He was grew up in a single mother household. That's what essentially what he grew up in and didn't have the, the best um, upbringing, but essentially made the best of his opportunities, ended up going to a nice boarding school, ended up going to, I believe it was Stanford Business School. Yeah. And when he was looking at specific problems to tackle, he was looking for social problems as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to a lot of his interviews. He was trying to tackle childhood obesity at the time, but well, I was never an obese kid. I don't really have any obese kids in my family. I'm not the person to tackle this issue. Right. He was trying to tackle issues within trucking. Mm -hmm. He realized, well, I'm not a trucker. I don't really know any truckers. And then he came upon this issue. I'm a black male and I suffer from razor bumps every time I shave. Yeah. But I have to shave going to school, going to work, et cetera, et cetera. 
but none of my white colleagues face these issues. Mm -hmm. It's my black peers as well as my mixed peers, as well as any other person with curly hair. Why is it that when I look at photos from the 80s and look at photos from barbershops, none of the black individuals or other people of color with curly coarse hair, why don't they have razor bumps? Mm -hmm. He did his research and realized that they were using straight blades. But we, we don't really use straight blades anymore. It's essentially a single blade because companies like Gillette that created multi-blade razors. Right. What they do is they lift up your hair and the next blade cuts at a lower level. Mm -hmm. So if you have curly coarse hair, it causes your hairs to curl up underneath your skin, resulting in razor bumps, mm. which is why on many black individuals or other people of color with curly coarse hair who shave, you will see razor bumps underneath their neck. Yeah. So you're just thinking, this is such a poor experience. What am I supposed to use to shave? I could possibly use things like nair, but they burn your skin. And what he wanted to do was create a better experience for people of color. He didn't like that people of color had to go to that bottom shelf looking for these products at a Walmart, looking at dusty, dirty packaging with what he described as like an old black man with a bottle of uh, some <laughs> sort of whiskey or something on the front of it. Yeah. And he created like an Apple-esque experience for people who shave. Mm -hmm. I remember opening up that box. I still have my box. Obviously, I have a beard and I'm not shaving anymore, but I've kept my box because it was such an amazing experience. Yeah, exactly. And what he was tackling was just the issue of shaving for black individuals. So imagine how many opportunities are out there. So many. There's so many opportunities out there. Have you have you identified any social entrepreneurs in the Turks and Caicos? I think that um, we definitely do. We definitely do have some of them, or we definitely have some in the making. Okay. People like Jeffrey Nicholas, okay. as well as uh, Lewis Surface, I think they're very, very inspiring individuals there with the, the whole eco-warriors. They do a lot of plastic cleanups. I actually had a conversation with Lewis um, a couple of days ago, last week, at mm -hmm. the film festival, talking about how you could try to figure out ways to monetize, monetize the eco-warriors. Yeah. Because I think it's always about having that aspect of sustainability attached to whatever you're working on. So you no longer have to rely on donations. So I think we definitely have social entrepreneurs in the making. I, I think we do have another one. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit biased, but I'm going to go with my dad, E.J. Saunders. Okay. Uh, Domo Simo Sankis. What they're trying to do is help bank the unbanked. So that's one of his uh, one of his companies right there. What is what is exactly what is that at exactly? Bank the unbanked. You know what? I will actually allow him to come in and, <laughs> no, and describe the best. No problem. Can. No problem. I love to have him on board for you one day. <laughs> What, what can be done to nurture the entrepreneurial spirit and mindset here in Turks and Caicos Islands? I think we really need to integrate entrepreneurship into our education system. For me, I, I, was, I was always interested in entrepreneurship. I was always interested in creating my own business. But it really became nurtured when I joined the Conrad School of Entrepreneurship and Business, which is at the University of Waterloo. And I don't just mean when I did my master's, but also when I did my minor in entrepreneurship with them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people tend to look at it and say, can you teach entrepreneurship? I think that is something that's, that people are born with, the skill that they're born with. The Conrad School of Entrepreneurship begs to differ, and so do I. Yeah. I think that a lot of the skill sets can be taught. Mm -hmm. Of course, just like with sports, you're going to have some people who are naturally gifted. Yeah. But you can also train yourself. Yeah. So for instance, their course, Bet 100, is all about identifying opportunities. And though that was an extremely tedious course, it was not fun, it's definitely impacted me moving forward to be able to say, okay, I can identify opportunities here, here, and here. I know how to look for those opportunities. I know how to then do my research to then match up and say, okay, this is the problem. 
and this is the solution that we need to develop. It sounds like you're suggesting that we should restructure education. I think that is definitely the case. I think a lot of people do agree with that. Mm -hmm. There are so many different things that we need to add to our um, education system. And I think that is one of them. I think integrating entrepreneurship, even from kindergarten, is something that would be crucial to transforming Turks and Caicos into the entrepreneurship hub of the Caribbean. You you mentioned skills that can be trained or developed or you can you can um, learn, correct? Definitely. What are some of these skills that these schools can start to consider? Because we might have some principals now who are listening to this discussion as we speak, and they'd be like, you know what? Maybe we should try to nurture some entrepreneurial spirit or entrepreneurial mindset inside our curriculum. You know, what are some things that they can introduce into the curriculum? Well, definitely. Well, courses where you're looking at identifying opportunities. And we don't even have to label it as entrepreneurship for kids in kindergarten, for instance. Uh But it's integrating into their courses ways for them to identify opportunities. Uh Uh, Another one of my favorite courses at the Conrad School of Entrepreneurship and Business was BET 350. Customer Experience Design, taught by another one of my favorite professors, Karen Schmidt. As you'll see, almost every one of the professors who taught me there are one of my favorite professors. Uh But that course is all about creating the perfect customer experience and Hmm. customer journey for all of your stakeholders. So this could be something as simple as thinking, okay, we have, let's look at the Turks and Caicos. We have an amazing tourism product. Yeah. But if you think about how we're catered towards people who who suffer from different disabilities, we don't really cater to their needs. Uh We don't. And that course helps you identify how you can improve that for them. Let's look around the Turks and Caicos. Let's look at our supermarkets. Let's look at our resorts and hotels, our villas. How accessible is it for people who are in wheelchairs? Mm. Not very. Exactly. You know, when we're looking around, how accessible are we to people who suffer from hearing loss? We're not very accessible to them. But imagine if you were teaching kids and providing them with that empathy for these people. What companies would they create from this? Ah, so true. They would understand because a part of that course was design thinking. Mm-hmm. And that involves actually going out to your target customers and figuring out what their problems are yeah. and figure out what has worked and what has not worked for them. So if you're teaching these kids, okay, you need to go out there. And, and these are kids who may be five years old. We want you to go back to your grandparents who may suffer from hearing loss, who may who suffer from uh, impaired vision. Ask them specific questions. You are now teaching those kids from the age of five and possibly younger how they can create businesses that cater towards the needs of everyone. And all of a sudden, we can have a community that is extremely inclusive. Man, that's so so transformational, you know, because we tend to complain a lot instead of really looking for solutions to the problem. And you know, I, I pray that you know one day we can take and take in some of these um, suggestions and restructure our education system so that we can become what I would term community problem solvers. Definitely. Yeah. And I know special needs is a topic that's very, very relevant right now. Mm-hmm. I believe on, on, on I, Rachel Taylor recently had some. Yeah. But and imagine if we could. Yeah, campaigning as well. Exactly. Yeah. He's an amazing person to speak on the issues. Yeah. But imagine if we could have somebody like Jazz help inspire the next generation of also entrepreneurs who may suffer from a disability. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Because they are the ones who have specific. Uh, disabilities or may may suffer from a specific disability and they can help 
create solutions for people who have the same problems that they do. Right. And I think that's something that we really need to look at doing. Help put people out there and provide essentially representation of all form out there in the public. People the, focus solutions. People focus solutions. That, that's exactly it. I love it. Gabriel, now I'm going to dive a little bit into the environmental aspect right now. You have a company. Um, I believe you are the founder or co-founder. Correct me if I'm wrong. Started right. off as the co-founder, started off as a team of four, but I'm the founder right now. Okay. Decom is, a, is an organic plastic waste disposable solution that utilizes bioreactor technology to create and maintain the optimal growing conditions for plastic degrading microbes to facilitate the degradation of plastics in weeks. How was DECOM born? So DECOM was born, I can clearly see you've done your research. <laughs> DECOM was born back when I was in my master's. So we had a course called BET 620, mm -hmm. essentially the master's version of BET 420, taught oh. by, again, another one of my favorite professors, oh. Nata Basir. Mm -hmm. And we had to create a social enterprise to enter into the whole price, our University of Waterloo round of the whole price. Now, for those who are not familiar with it, the Hulk Prize is the world's largest social entrepreneurship competition in the world. The winners actually have an opportunity to meet Bill Clinton and receive a million dollars for their venture. Whoa. For their venture. So okay. we were looking at different problems to tackle. The challenge that year was creating a business that positively impacts the environment with every dollar sold. So we were looking at transportation realized that that was not the issue we really wanted to tackle. We were passionate about it. We looked at fast fashion. What was interesting about that is the fact that we really got to understand about plastic pollution from fast fashion. Mm -hmm. But we weren't really passionate about fast fashion either. So I was actually at home browsing on Facebook and came across a news article on plastic degrading microbes that were found that are naturally occurring in a landfill in Pakistan. The news article was strictly from an academic perspective. Mm -hmm. A couple of researchers in the landfill identified this microbe. This is pretty cool. We're looking at it. We're monitoring it, et cetera, et cetera. And upon research, we were looking for people who were trying to commercialize it. We could not really find that many individuals or entities who were trying to commercialize these type of microbes. Mm -hmm. And we decided, well, why can't it be us? If we go and we get these microbes, we genetically modify them, we can make them more efficient and more effective integrating these plastics because plastics take 400 to a thousand years to naturally decompose these microbes are able to degrade them in weeks at least to a certain extent but we want them to be able to degrade plastics fully degrade them is what we're looking at yeah that's going to involve genetically engineering them to do so and different microbes are able to break down different plastic resins or different types of plastics so we're starting off with ldpe which is a softer plastic but that's really how it was born. We ended up winning the University of Waterloo round of the whole prize. Extremely exciting. It was our first pitch competition. So we won uh, $3,000 for research and development. Nice. We were supposed to travel originally to Tokyo, but the pandemic came and essentially messed up that opportunity. And what opportunities that would open up, you being able to um, advertise or pitch DCOM in Tokyo? That would have been amazing. Yeah. Now, the pandemic you know, threw a curveball in our direction. So the uh -huh. competition ended up going virtual. So we pitched virtual. Unfortunately, we did not make it to the next round. 
but we've continued to pitch and win numerous competitions since then. You can mention them on radio because I, I want Turk Silence to see the excellence <laughs> that I have in my presence right now. Yeah. Definitely. So we ended up after that winning the pandemic challenge in August 2020. What was the pandemic? The challenge? pandemic challenge was all about tackling problems that have come to be from the pandemic. So okay. we're still tackling plastic waste pollution, but we were looking at plastic from personal protective equipment, plastic in disposable masks, plastic gloves, et cetera, et cetera, as well as takeout food containers, because the takeout industry really boomed during the pandemic because yeah. people were not able to eat inside restaurants anymore. Mm -hmm. So we ended up winning that one at the University of Waterloo. So won the pandemic challenge. We then won the Jack Rosen Memorial Pitch Competition at University of Waterloo. Jack Rosen was actually the founder or the father of modern day recycling. So for wow. us to win that competition was very special. Wow. We then also won University of Waterloo's World's Challenge Challenge. Ended up going to the international round. We were finalists there. Unfortunately, we did not place a top three spot, but we're looking at applying for it again this year and shooting for that. For sure. But there have been a, a number of other competitions I may be forgetting, but the one I definitely cannot forget, it's probably the most special to me. Which one is it? Is the Commission for Environmental Cooperation's Youth Innovation Challenge. Mm -hmm. Because we won that, and that allowed us to present at the CEC, so Commission for Environmental Cooperation, at their 20th Council session. And we got to present DCOP in front of the top environmental officials of North America. So wow. Canada, United States, and Mexico. Wow. So an amazing experience networking with them and presenting our solution to them. Okay. But not only that, we also were able to get 15K in non-dilutive seed funding. So that is immense for us for our next steps of research and development. People are listening. They're hearing all these amazing things. And I'm sure they want to know, how would DCOM solve our waste issues here? in the Turks and Caicos Islands after listening to what you just said? Love that question. So I have uh, gotten that question before. And my thing is, we first need to look at how we manage waste as a whole. I don't even, we don't have a material recovery facility. We don't have a facility that collects waste and figures out how to process it. To my knowledge, everything goes to the landfill and ends up being burned there. Mm. So it's, it's landfilling, but also like a poor form of incineration. If we had a facility that all of the waste could go to, and we had proper recycling there, we, we processed and sorted waste, I would love to have decomp there. Yeah. Because our long-term vision is that no plastic waste would ever end up in landfills. That's all plastic resins, and whether they're contaminated or not, uh -huh. we want to ensure that nothing ends up in landfills. Uh -huh. Plastic that ends up in landfills actually ends up in the environment as well. Uh -huh. because of wind, rain, et cetera, et cetera. Uh -huh. And while plastic sits in landfills, it's broken down by landfill conditions. Wait, you said rain, plastic and, uh, and rain. No, no, so what I was saying is that rain and all weather conditions can actually okay. transport okay. plastics okay. from landfills yes, yeah. off-site. I understand, I understand. So they end up in our environment that way. Uh -huh. But plastics, yeah. while in landfills and exposed to landfill conditions, actually break down into micro and nanoplastics which then leach into the environment, leach into our waterways. Mm -hmm. It creates a variety of other problems for our ecosystems. What we would want to do is have decomp there in a facility that prevents any plastic waste from ever ending up in landfills. How can the government nurture an idea like decomp? For years, I've been saying, I think we need an incubator here. I think we need an incubator here where we have 
a number of mentors that any entrepreneur, entrepreneurs of all ages working on any different idea, mm-hmm. would be able to go to and be around like-minded individuals yeah. who are looking at creative, innovative sh- solutions for the world. Mm-hmm. Hopefully a lot of them are more impactful for the Turks and Caicos Islands as a whole, but we want to see global companies. But if we had an incubator where you could go to and say, hey, I have a designated working space here. I don't need to pay for Wi-Fi or the best Wi-Fi. I have mentors all around me. I have like-minded individuals around me. Some may be graphic designers. I need graphic designers. Yeah. Some may be. Some may have expertise in accounting. I can go to them. Yes. They can also connect me with other opportunities. That would be amazing. Absolutely mm. amazing. Mm. For us, I was able to pitch at the CEC's 20th Council <clears throat> session. An opportunity that arose for me there was also an opportunity to be a panelist at the United the United Nations delegation to Mexico. This was back in October. Wow. So I was a panelist at their climate action conference. But that only came because of my association with specific incubators. Wow. Imagine if we had an incubator here now. It would be massive for the entrepreneurs that we have down there. What how can we bring us a, a starter incubator? What can the government do to to bring it uh, bring an incubator here to the Turks and Caicos Islands? I don't think it's anything hard at all. It's first of all, designate a specific working space for us. You can look at it in so many different areas. It could be in the Grace Bay area. It could be, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, seconds away from the world's best beach. And you're going to have high network individuals who are going to come to the Turks and Caicos and want to provide their insights and their help as well. They may simply stop right into the incubator. Say, oh, I'd like to talk to a couple of the entrepreneurs here. Mm. Mark Cuban has been walking around Grace Bay. Kevin O'Leary has been so walking around imagine. Grace Bay. I, imagine that. Yeah. But we could also look at transforming other areas as well. What if we had a downtown and we really brought the new school into downtown mm. where we have entrepreneurs downtown? Or we could look at developing Wheeland as well, having something down in Wheeland. Mm-hmm. We could develop so many of our communities and have these innovative thinkers, these thought leaders, and essentially have it could be a crossover of an incubator and a think tank right here in the Turks and Caicos. And trust me, I've joked around with people from my masters, and by that I mean professors, directors, etc. Mm-hmm. Joked around with directors of the incubator that DCOMP is incubated at in Canada. They would love to have something down here. Wow. So many people would love to have something down here. It's just about creating the right connections to facilitate those opportunities for Turks and Caicos Islanders. I hope people are listening and taking notes because this 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 can be transformational. Sidetrack real quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, during COVID, we had a lot of people starting businesses mm-hmm. and, and diving into entrepreneurship. What are your views on these on, on that spike in entrepreneurial um, endeavors during COVID? Absolutely love it. Yeah, absolutely love it because I think Turks and Caicos Islanders need to stop looking at it. And nothing wrong with it, but we need to stop looking at being employees and let's start being owners. Yes. Particularly if you have great expertise in a specific area. If you're a great writer, you don't necessarily need to write for the newspaper or write for one of the mainstream newspapers. Go create your own newspaper. I agree. If you're an amazing graphic designer, you don't need to work for another graphic design company. Go create your own. End up being an owner. End up having that flexibility. But you know, Gabriel, a lot of us as creators, we, we believe that uh, you, you say that. 
but then the, the access to funding i mean it's not easy for us to get loans mm -hmm. um, for our creative ideas it's not easy to get access to funding mm -hmm. uh, just recently i said that uh the the msme program is very limited to creatives mm -hmm. you know so uh, i i believe that um there's there also have to be access for us to to have capital to pursue these these um to pursue to pursue our entrepreneurial endeavors you know that's something that um, a lot of creatives have been struggling with i don't know if you want to make mention of that i agree with you yeah. completely there i think a number of other individuals as a matter of fact i know a number of other individuals too mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know this but i'm also the co-founder of turks and caicos tv along with my childhood best friend quinn hicks i love that page by the way <laughs> yeah so we started off as an instagram page uh -huh. but essentially what we are is an influencer agency, uh, marketing agency, but specializing in influencer marketers. But what we seek to do is bridge influencers to the Turks and Caicos to create more opportunities for the Turks and Caicos Islanders. We've already co-hosted a free basketball camp for kids with uh, Dr. Gilbert Morris, and we had former NBA players there. Uh -huh. We applied to the MSME program at Invest TCI, and we were actually rejected and because we did not need the eligibility requirements. Wow. Now we have businesses, you know, messaging us, hey, we'd love to advertise with you. We have influencers messaging us. We'd love to come down to Turks and Caicos. As a matter of fact, we were DMing with people such as Dwight Howard and all that would wanted to come down here for a basketball camp. Of course, Trevor Reza, we were also discussing it with him, but he's from here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, of course, he's, he's down to come to Turks and Caicos. Yeah. But I, I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I, I was shocked about it. But looking at the email, it was because we did not fit into one of their categories. Yes. We did not fit into one of their categories. Yes. Another problem is that it took it took way too long. Mm. It took way too long. We we submitted our application July 16th and we heard back the end of October. Wow. Now, love everything that investees has to absolutely love everything that they're doing. But they're they're stuck within specific requirements. Mm -hmm. So someone needs to look at saying, we're already doing a great job. But how do we have an even bigger impact? How do we speed this process up for our yes. entrepreneurs? How do we go? Because that wait time can kill your drive. It can. It yeah. can. It can kill momentum. It yeah. can kill momentum. Like I said, but they're doing they're doing a splendid job right now. But it's how do we make this even better for our entrepreneurs? Yes. How do we go and create more opportunities for them by expanding upon those specific categories that you have? We have so many entrepreneurs here that are in the creative side. How do we allow people such as Let's say a stunapee. Yes. A, a willow. A, ugly. He goes by the rapping name Ugly Willow. I don't want to call him Ugly Willow on here. <laughs> but how do we allow creatives like that to get access? Baby Ball Mate. How yeah. do we have access? How do we allow them to have access to funding to actually become big brands, global brands? We have talent here that have the potential to be global talent. We had a couple of rappers down here, local rappers, who I believe have a feature coming out with. Um, with T Grizzly soon. T wow. Grizzly was down here, was impressed with their work and wanted to be featured on one of their songs. That's amazing. We have the talent here, but we need to facilitate more opportunities for them. What were some of the early challenges of launching DCOM? A lot of the early challenges were that we would figure out a lot of these from pitching, to be honest. Because mm -hmm. you pitch and you think that you know everything at this specific moment in time, but you're pitching to experts in various fields, whether it's waste management, whether it is accounting, finance, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. 
And these experts are able to find specific holes within your business model. Mm. You're always going to have holes, but you learn the most from receiving those that feedback yeah. from these people who are vetted, experienced individuals. Mm -hmm. So what some of them did see is that they felt as though we did not have access to specific expertise. For us, it was just a matter of trying to fill those in. So when we first started pitching, we didn't really involve unit economics a lot. They wanted to see more of that. They wanted to see more of our financial modeling. So we've incorporated those into our pitches as well. They wanted to see essentially comments from customers. So we do a lot of customer uh, research interviews to figure out what our potential customers thought of what we were trying to create. So we have to do a lot of that. The biggest challenge we had, fortunately we did have a chance to solve it, was we didn't have anybody in the team who was experienced within the waste management industry. We had, we had, another, we had marketers, wow. we had different engineers, with different scientists, but we didn't have anybody with that expertise. Mm -hmm. So we had some judges saying, great, you have a good business model. Somebody can ensure that you're able to, to pull that through or push that through. You have the engineers to try to make it happen along with your scientists. Yes. But you don't, you don't really understand the industry. Yeah. Fortunately, um, through being incubated the social venture zone, which is at Ryerson University in Canada, Toronto, Ontario, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, we got access to an amazing coach who has 30 years of experience in waste management. He's wow. a former director within the waste management industry. Wow. So he has more years of experience in that industry than I have years living on earth. So it has been absolutely amazing to have him as a, as a coach to us mm -hmm. because he, he is able to identify particular holes within our business model that we're able to fill because he's able to tell us about them. Yeah. If we didn't have him, we'd be walking around blindly in some specific areas. A big hurdle that we did face though was the pandemic because we were supposed to move into lab space in March, 2020. Mm -hmm. The pandemic sort of threw a big hurdle our way and delayed that by a number of months because none of the incubators in Canada that we were dealing with or even our schools were allowing entrepreneurs or researchers to have access to these labs or at least ones that were looking at being onboarded into them. Love it, love it. Um, Gabriel, on the topic of climate change, because that's been very popular um, for a long period. I mean, you started off you know, your career attending a climate change seminar. Barbados Prime Minister Motley recently delivered a powerful speech at COP26. And uh, I'll take a excerpt from that speech. We are not just victims to the crisis. We have been resilient beacons of hope. Pacific youth have rallied behind the cry. We are not drowning, we are fighting. This is our warrior cry to the world. And as when she said that, as she was speaking about the impact climate change has had in the Caribbean. What are your views on the comment she made during COP26? So I'm a big fan of Prime Minister Mia Motley. I actually quoted her in my most recent pitch as well as when I was the keynote speaker at Youth Expo Day for the film festival. I totally agree with her. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with her. She has another part of that same speech where she says, essentially, we need to act now. 
Yeah. We can't wait till next year or, or years from now. We need to act now. So I look at this and I say, she's right. We are right here. Though we have not contributed the most to climate change, we are going to be some of the first people who receive, and we're already receiving them, but the, the deadliest impacts of them. Yeah. We've seen now. We see the sea garsons at on Grace Bay Beach. We see the devastation of the hurricanes that we're now yeah. getting yeah. on a more regular basis. Uh-huh. I remember 2018 when we had the hurricanes then. I was on the phone with my Grammy. And my Grammy said she had not seen a hurricane like that since she was, I think, maybe single digits. Single digits. Wow. She's in her late 70s now. And now we're seeing these hurricanes more ramp up. Yep. We're seeing them more frequently. So a hurricane you may see every 80 years, we now may be seeing every five to 10 years. Hopefully not uh, in, in years, hopefully not in like a smaller duration than that. We don't want to be seeing these hurricanes every year yeah. on an annual basis. So I, I totally agree with her, but this is why I think social entrepreneurship is the way, because it's not just about activism and, and jumping around you know, doing our jumping jacks, saying we need help, we need help, we need this to be done. We need to sort of move away from a bit of a victim mentality uh-huh. and try to figure out what we can do yeah. to have the most impact that we possibly have. We can understand that we did not contribute the most to this problem. Our contribution is a drop in the bucket to climate change or the negative effects of climate change. Yeah. But let's try to lead the way forward. Could you imagine if Turks and Caicos was leading the tackle on climate change? If we're here, and we can do it, you know, and we can do it, we can do it. We have a whole pile of entrepreneurs down here who are looking at, let's say, carbon capture technologies. It would be amazing for for the entire world, and it would be an amazing PR story for the Turks and Caicos. The small British overseas territory has a number of entrepreneurs tackling climate change. Wow! Imagine the 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 people that would be attracted to come here and see how we're doing. Definitely. And the investments that would come to Turks and Caicos would be absolutely amazing as well. avenue of tourism. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. What role does waste disposal play in in climate change? (sighs) When you look at plastics particularly, their entire life cycle contributes to climate change. We focus more on the latter stages of the life cycle. Mm -hmm. But if you simply look at plastics when they're degrading in the environment they actually release harmful greenhouse gases methane being one of them which is 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide so it does have its effects right there it may not be as grand scale as a variety of other ways that we contribute to to climate change or other emissions of uh, greenhouse gases but it definitely has its place too and it's pretty significant is decom one of the solutions to climate change? I believe it is. I believe it is because we need all hands on deck right now. DCOP is not going to have the impact on reducing carbon emissions or carbon dioxide equivalents as, let's say, any carbon capture technology. But with what we're looking at right now, in terms of in the world, we need to reduce as many emissions as we can. Yeah. So DCOP has its place within that. And I think any other startup that is reducing greenhouse gas emissions definitely has its place there. I love it. I love it. And I hope that um, those who are in top positions are listening, are taking notes, 
and we'll reach out to you to figure out how they can nurture not only social entrepreneurs in Trust Caicos Islands, but also your idea um, and your business model with Decomp as well. And I really hope they reach out to you. Definitely. This, this can be transformational. I definitely have to thank Honorable Taylor for already reaching out to me. Oh, love it. She already reached out to me love after it. Youth Expo Day at the film festival. And we're mm-hmm. supposed to have a conversation later on this week. All right. So I absolutely love that because if we can uh, incorporate more environmentalism, more entrepreneurship into our education system, I would love to see that happen. Love it. Gabriel, you are on a powerful path, my friend. <laughs> and um, I, I I know where you get it from. You know, I, I was raised in the community where your grandfather um, was undefeated in. <laughs> <laughs> Many more than she would pick us up in his truck and take us to high school. You know, um, great, great man. Very, very humble individual. What's the best advice your grandfather has ever given to you? The best piece of advice my grandpa has ever given to me. I will never forget it. I remember. I love how you call me grandpa, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) From the time I was a kid, every time, I mean, he can't make the comments anymore because, of course, I've finished my master's now. Mm -hmm. I won't be surprised if I do another degree if he starts making the comments again. But from the time I was, the time I can remember, so early primary school, all the way until the time I completed my master's, every single time he's on the phone with me, or every time he's leaving, you know, we're, we're leaving each other, whether it's me leaving South Caicos uh, or him leaving Provo, remember to focus on your studies. Remember to focus on your studies. So that, that is one thing that I, I really did. It's always try to focus on, on my your studies. studies. Yeah. And that's one thing that has been. You know, I have to thank my, my mother for that as well, as well as my father for pushing me in that direction, as well as my maternal grandparents. Mm-hmm. Education has always been something that's been huge mm-hmm. in our family. Yeah. Um, reading has been a big thing. Mm-hmm. My mother used to always try to make sure, try to push me in the direction of reading. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to read X amount of books every summer as a kid. I would always see my father reading his Wired magazines as well. Yeah. So those, seeing those individuals around me, really helped nurture me to focus on education. Right. And I think you dropped some gems as well on how you become successful, reading and constantly educating yourself. Definitely. Are key components in building a successful career. Definitely. They say a book is essentially access to somebody's mind and their knowledge. Yeah. You could look at an author and say, I relate to this individual. I yeah. want to read their book. Or I don't relate to them. How can I understand where they're coming from? I know you have a book out as well. Yeah. Anybody who relates with your story, young men, or even maybe single mothers yeah. who want to get the perspective of a young male being raised in a single mother household yeah. could read the book and understand your perspective, yeah. which will help them improve upon their lives or the lives of their families. Do you view that as some form of social entrepreneurship? You definitely could be. Ah, you definitely could that. be. Hey, hey. <laughs> Longfellow, what what does your dream Turks and Caicos look like? My dream Turks and Caicos is, and I I don't want to steal a quote from my dad, but I'm going to go ahead and go with it. My dream Turks and Caicos is where Turks and Caicos Islanders are living their best lives. I think where Turks and Caicos Islanders are living their best lives. That has been, that has become associated with your father, by the way. It has been. I mean, he coined the phrase, he coined the phrase, and I have to give it to him. But We're not living our best lives. Yeah. We are not living our best lives right now. I think we are on the right path. Of course, I am I'm biased, 
I think we are, we're, we're moving in the right direction, but we need to move faster. Yeah. We need to get to the point where Turks and Caicos Islanders are looking and saying, I can go back home or I can stay home and live my best life. I don't need to go abroad for all of the experiences that I need and that I desire mm-hmm. and to ensure that I can keep improving as an individual. Mm-hmm. You could look at incubators. How do we go and we have an incubator down here so that we can make the most of our opportunities in the Turks and Caicos. I may not want to leave and go abroad to other incubators. How do we go and facilitate Y Combinator being down in, in the Turks and Caicos or the Social Venture Zone being down in the Turks and Caicos or Next36 in Canada having a remote program within the Turks and Caicos? Mm-hmm. We want entrepreneurs to live their best lives. We want graphic designers and creatives to live their best lives. Love it. We want our athletes to be able to live their best lives. Delano Williams or the next Delano Williams should not have to go to Jamaica to get the best training. You're preaching, my brother. They shouldn't have to. They should be right here in the Turks and Caicos and be yes. able to get the, the best quality training. Yes. Our talented artists should not have to go and leave the Turks and Caicos to get more exposure. We should be able to get them as much exposure here as possible. We have people. And we have so many people coming here. There's so now. many people coming here who would want to help out. Yeah. How do we facilitate those opportunities? How do we ensure? that Turks and Caicos Islanders are able to maximize what they have here. We have no other home. This is our home. And I feel as though, and, and it's it's controversial, but not all expats have Turks and Caicos Islanders' best interest at heart. Yeah. They don't. A lot of them, and you can ask many individuals who are, affiliate, who are in, intertwined into those communities of all which I am, and think of your childhood friends who were expatriates, whose parents came here, made investments, but don't touch Turks and Caicos anymore. Yeah. They make money off their investments. They come home. It's a tourism spot for them. They, 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 they don't even know what chicken sauce here. They, they don't know our, they don't know our culture. culture. They, don't, yeah. they stay so intertwined into their own communities and don't provide opportunities to others. Yeah. I'm going to give an example right now. And I've, I've provided this example on a number of occasions. Jojo the Dolphin is, I think, I believe 45 years old. Jojo's older than, than us. People <laughs> around the world know Jojo the Dolphin. If you type in the world's most famous dolphins, Jojo the Dolphin is going to be right there on that list. Wow. Why do I bring that up? Jojo's brand awareness is crazy. Certain individuals have created an Instagram account called Jojo the Dolphin, where they mainly promote their business for Wow. Could you imagine? Exploiting. Yeah. Exactly. You have so many people who love JoJo or following the account, but not realizing they're being advertised to. They're being advertised to. Could you imagine if I had gone to, let's say, I can't remember the specific country, but where um, Cecil Cecil the Lion was, and I created an account called Cecil the Lion and had, was an expat in the community, didn't really immerse myself in the community. And then went and promoted my own tours. I think we need to look at things like that and say, how do Turks and Caicos Islanders make the most of their opportunity? And it's a great business move. I I totally understand that. But how do we see more locals get involved? And that's one thing I want to see more from the expatriate community. Get more locals involved. You may have the resources, but how do you get us involved? How do you get our people involved? We're willing to share this place with you but don't leave us behind now. Yeah. We're asking to not be left behind. Yeah. Gabriel, um, 
your clock coming down to the, the, the final questions. I have two more questions. Um, we have about, anyway. There's a narrative of millennials having this sense of entitlement, you know, our generation. And um, I can say that that narrative is true in some sense. How can we change this narrative moving forward? The narrative does not come from nowhere. Yeah. We do have a sense of entitlement. We feel as though, as, as we as a people, feel as though we should be handed out things. Go look at any governmental press conference right now, particularly when it's either the Ministry of Health or the Ministry of Finance. Mm -hmm. And you will see comments, where's my STEMI, where's my STEMI, where's my STEMI? We have a feeling of entitlement. People may need a, st a, a next stimulus. And this is, this is me speaking on my personal. These are not the views of any politicians uh, that I may be affiliated with. But why don't we look at it and say, rather than looking at it as, let's say, a specific stimulus, another stimulus check that may not be needed, why don't you let us know what you're working on, what your passion project is? Yes. And we look for an opportunity to give you the same amount of money, maybe more, maybe, maybe 10 more. times more, but for you to work on your business. Because we could give you, rather than that $1,000, you have a great passion project, a great side hustle. What if we give you 20K? Yes. Next year, you should not be Ask. needing for another stimulus yeah. check because you have a business that is well run and you got the funding to get it going. And that all trickles back to the expansion of the MSME program. I think it I, does tie well into yeah, it. Yeah, and I, and I hope that... Um, in the near future, very near future, that we see those categories expanded. Definitely. Gabriel, final question. If you had $100 million to spend on climate change, no red tape, how would you spend it? That's a tough question. If the last <laughs> 100 on climate change, you know, I, I think the best thing to do is diversify investments in, in climate change technology. So, of course... Significant amount of that is going into decomp. I want to see. <laughs> I want to push decomp as much as I can. There's no, there's no, there's no red tape. So but but of course, ahead. but I'm also going to be looking at other startups as well. Yeah. So I'd be looking at carbon capture technology because that's massive. I'd be looking at Coral Vita. So shout out to uh, Alana Velikat, whose mom is from the Turks and Caicos. She's um, not Bahamian. She's Bahamian TI. Oh, okay. Her mom is from the Turks and Caicos, yeah. and the startup that she's a part of recently won $1.3 million. I saw that. Shot prize. Yeah, that's so We need to be celebrating our, our people more. Like yes. Definitely be putting uh, some money in, into that, as well as other various climate change technologies, uh -huh. uh, which are, are numerous to mention, but those would be two ones right there. Uh, carbon capture ones and, and Coral Vita. Gabriel, thank you so much for this enlightening conversation here on Boeing to Lead. I couldn't pick a perfect way to end this discussion and not not discussion sorry this after season given that you know COP26 has been you know echoing especially after Prime Minister Motley delivered such a passionate passionate speech thank you so much for agreeing to be on Born to Lead and, and share your business I um, your business venture along with your experience in being a social entrepreneur. Do you have any final words? I would just like to say thank you okay. um, to you in particular for inviting me to be on your show. For young entrepreneurs who are working on startups that are in their infancy, having access to a platform, a platform 
particularly a, a big platform, is absolutely amazing for us. It helps us with our traction. We all of a sudden we have more media content to push out there. People are able to hear our stories and what we're working on. Yeah. So for you to invite me on here is an honor. Yeah. So definitely like to thank you. I'd like to thank people like Mr. Drexel Seymour as well. Yeah. I know you filmed me when I was on his show. Yeah. And I'm extremely grateful for all those opportunities. And thank you once again.